Well, good morning. Welcome to Northern Hills Bible Chapel. If you're visiting with us today, we are glad to have you. Move that down a little bit. That's picks up really well. And even if you're a long time, long standing member of this body of believers, we're really happy to have you because you've been diligent and you've. Uh, You've been steadfast in your desire and your ability to come to the services and the meetings every Sunday. And by doing that, you've been an encouragement to a lot of brothers and sisters around you. And that'll, that'll prove uh, important, what I just said, as we move on um, in our study today. So um, as we get ready to get started, let's just take a moment in prayer. There's a lot of things in our, in our assembly to pray for, as Mickey alluded to, and there's Things in our lives that uh, we didn't we didn't plan on that we didn't see coming, but but there's uh, many things that we indeed can pray for. So let's take a second to go ahead and, and pray to start our meeting. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you choose to be a part of our lives, Lord. We're we're thankful that uh, as God you would uh, desire to invest in your creation and not just a simple benign creation, but a, a creation that, Lord, that has uh, in times past abused you, your son. Father, uh, a creation that many times and throughout all of history has denied you. Lord, a, a creation that has maligned you. And, Father, a creation many times that has been very evil towards your people, the people who have found you, Lord, that you have found. Father, we're just grateful that through all of that, you are long-suffering and you are patient, Lord, with us as, as uh, who know you, and Lord, also with a world, generally speaking, that hates you, a world that is in opposition to you, Lord. Lord, some by ignorance and some by the traditional hardness of their heart, Lord, they they, they were like us. They don't seek after you. Father, we just pray that, Lord, with what you do in our lives, you would, you would show yourself to them, that we would be an example to them, Lord. Father, I just pray that uh, this would be an encouraging time, Lord, as we, as we look at Scripture. And, uh, Father, that it would be um, a nugget that we can place in our life, Lord, that we can draw upon, that we can reflect back upon, Lord, and we can look at Scripture and Lord, we can see how we ought to grow and how we ought to be as believers. In Jesus' name, amen. So I would like to start off uh, to just really setting the tone for today's Sunday school with a passage from Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. A lot of you are familiar with this, but it says, reading from the King James, Even so, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works. Really, you know, the only thing you would really have to grasp there or, or try to understand is the concept of letting your light shine. In, in, in church speak, we get that. We get the concept. We, we look at our light shining before men, basically Christ indwelling within us and us seeking to please him by acting right. And there's a balance there, and you know sometimes I think if you look right at James in the book of in the book of James, it can be confusing to say, "Are we of works? Or are we of faith?" And and I, and I don't want to take this for myself. I heard it from a pastor from Northern Kentucky that said many years ago, "Belief behaves, 
So if we are in the faith and if we desire to serve God with our whole hearts, we have right actions. The right actions are uh, the way we serve others. The right actions are the way we obey God, the way we are differentiated from a world who doesn't have a standard on what they do specifically. Now, they may be professional. They may, ha- may, do, may, they may do excellent work in their profession. But we're talking about the things that are inward, the things that are spiritual that flow out of a person. Um, God, is, God is interested in us behaving rightly and behaving good so that an onlooking world who, who has a shifting standard many times in their actions or they have uh, ethics that are subjective, not objective, that they can look at us and they can be pointed to the direction of Christ. So think on that, if you would, uh, as we move through today, today's topic. If you would, do me a favor. Just close your eyes for a second. Nothing's going to happen, promise. But close your eyes and try to think of something you hold very dear, something very important to you. Take just a moment. It can be more than one thing. We're not talking specifically about something inanimate. We're talking about something, whatever that may be, one or more things that you hold dear in your life. Once you have that, rejoin me, please. And we'll come back to that a little bit later. Just hold on to that. As believers in Jesus Christ, as those who have tasted and have seen that the Lord is good, as those who have cast all their cares upon our Heavenly Father and have found that He cares for you, we find ourselves living at a unique place in history. The time in which we live can definitely be called post-Christian. And a lot of people could look at that and say post-Christian. Well, what era is that? As I've researched this, I would look and say that it's probably definitely from the time of the Reformers. I'll take thoughts on this in a minute, but I wouldn't say it's from the time of Christ specifically because there was a lot of opposition to Christianity initially. We know that God says, in, that, that it's stated in God's word that there, there, were, there were believers added to their number daily from Pentecost on, that there was believers that came unto the Lord, but there was great persecution at the time. And Christianity was not accepted as the cultural norm. And if, in fact, it was opposed. It was opposed by those of the, the, the Pharisees and the, and the Jewish people, the Judea, the, those who were um, like Paul. It was opposed by the Romans. It was opposed by many cultures down through, down through history. I tend to think as the, as the, of the Christian culture, uh, starting with the Reformers, and as we look at the Reformers five, six hundred years ago, we have this, we have this infiltration of Christian thinking or, or new Christian thinking, not specifically by the Catholic Church, that's coming into the world. And there's a large change. And there's a large paradigm shift as people start to take the scripture for themselves. And I don't want to camp out on that, but I just want to say that 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 we are not in that culture now. Culture is in an extreme, op- it's extremely at odds against what we, what most of us in this room grew up with, where there was, where there was a, uh, you know, the concept of the good old days of common sense, swift justice, objective moral reasoning, and underlying Christian conscience. That's just, we don't find that ourselves. When you look at the commercials that we see on TV periodically, you know, and, and how so much of what is, anti-God, anti-Bible is before us in the forefront of what we see. We realize that we are not living with people who have 
the ability to affect culture and who are thinking on God's side. So with that being said, we see that the Christian culture is slowly been ero- uh, the Christian culture is slowly being taken over, it's slowly being eroded over time. There's a constant drip of the world system and the ideology of the world. And it's something we observe as now a crashing wave and a rising tide against the things that we hold dear in our lives as believers. I don't say that as believers we should be fearful of that because as we have Christ, as we look at scriptures, it says, greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. We don't fret over a changing world system. We see that the church has grown at times through persecution. We see that the church has uh, actually uh, grown, not grown, but thrived in times that were tough. But what I wanted to talk today about that is not so much what we do corporately as a body of believers and what we do as a church, but what we do personally. And so um, I just want you to think back to the, uh, a moment ago when I asked you to think of something that you hold dear, something that's important to you. How many of you, and don't answer this, desired that your pers- personal holiness before the Lord be the one thing that would not be eroded by the onslaught of oppressive world system. Your personal holiness was the one thing that you hold dear, the one thing that was most important to you. I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about our personal holiness, if I could. And and really, I want to take a look at three sections of Scripture, and I want to let them speak to us of their uh, exhortation and their command. I want to let them build on each other and support each other. And then finally, I'd like to uh, draw from them the application that we can we can put in our own lives. So if we could, I'd like to start at Isaiah 57, 15. And there's, a, there's about three sections of Scripture that we'll cover, as I mentioned, and then there will be a few supporting Scriptures. Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the high and the lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Thus says the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high place, high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. I wanted to take a look at that uh, first and really kind of set the tone. This is an Old Testament writing. Holiness starts with God, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is given to the contrite and the humble. God desires godly living and holiness in our lives, and his working in our lives is not compatible with pride and vainglory. Five times in Leviticus, God gives a command to be holy because he is holy. Leviticus 20, verse 7 is one of those old words that the King James uses, Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. This is reiterated again in 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. But as he which has called you is holy, so you be holy in all your manner of conversation and actions or behavior, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And of course, Peter is referring back to these passages in Leviticus, be holy for God is holy. We look at many sections of scripture that describe God's holiness and different attributes of God. It seems like it's a high and lo- high standard, and, and it indeed is, to be holy as he is holy. 
but God desires that for our lives. Holiness starts with God. The ability for us to be holy starts with him. We observe him. We look at his holiness. We look at what he desires for us. We engage our actions and we engage our will. We also engage engage our soul, our mind, and our heart to be holy. Holiness is a commitment that we have within ourselves, and it's also supported by God. He teaches us how to be holy. If we could, I'd like to turn over to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, the verse says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Basically, Paul is saying in, the, you know, in that old English word, I, I'm, I'm begging earnestly of you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The first verse, Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. Some, some versions say, which is your reasonable service. That's the King James. Others say it's your reasonable worship. The process of giving our lives as a living sacrifice, meaning not martyring or dying for God, but living every day holy before Him, is an acceptable sacrifice and our acceptable worship to God. Growing up, I remember this as, as the flagship verse of our and many other youth groups there was a definite importance or emphasis placed on the holiness of young people, young people's lives, and rightly so. You know, when I was growing up, you know, in the, as a smaller kid in the late 70s and then throughout the 80s, there was, a, there was a, not just anything that was new and opposing to God or anything that was just new and worldly. There was new and worldly with technology. And I think that even gave our parents an extra dose of concern. Wow, you know, we don't understand the technology. We just see this, we just see this, uh, this onslaught of what's coming at our kids daily. MTV starts in 1980, 81, and it was music videos on demand. And it, it, so many things were just foreign to our parents at the time. It was, it was unnerving. And I'm not saying specifically that may not be different, you know, that that's any different than any other parents maybe have experienced. But I think it was a a new dimension of something parents had to deal with in the 80s. And I remember uh, there was this, it seemed like everything we had done with the, in youth group or with events, uh, you know, being connected to a, a group of local churches, there was really this, not the focus on action so much, but on holiness, personal holiness. And, and, and I'm thankful that we had holy leaders. I remember men and women both, they just lived good lives. They lived... Uh, they lived good examples in front of us in righteous lives. Um, but this verse was, was the verse that was always <laughs> over every youth room in the General Association of Regular Baptist Churches that you walked into. It would be Romans 12.1, Romans 12.1. And, I, you know, I don't know if we, if we got burnt out on that verse or if we didn't uh, fully, you know, as kids, we didn't understand the gravity of that verse. But as you get older, you realize 
that Paul is looking at, he's, he's saying, I, before the Lord, I'm, I'm really wanting you to tune into this. That it's, it's critical. If you're going to grow as a believer, you have to have a holy life. You can't have one foot in and one foot out. You can't ride the fence the whole time. I need you to listen to me. Before God, I need you to be holy. And so there's this, there's this emphasis placed on here. But Paul also gives a supernatural, he gives us a supernatural statement uh, in, in uh, verse 2. He says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The verse of discernment is Romans chapter uh, 12, verse 2. The supernatural ability to discern and not be fooled away from holiness. The lure of this world, the insidious nature of sin, the pleasure of sin for a season, and more all pull us away from the godly and holy life. As I mentioned, Romans 12, verse 2, is a verse of supernatural power. If you like a recipe or a formula, this is the one for holy living. We looked earlier that holiness starts with God. In Isaiah, we're, we, are to go, we recognize God as holy, and we recognize that He is with the contrite, the person who is, who is lowly in spirit, who is humble, who does not think higher of themselves as they ought to, who desires to be tuned into God and to what He is doing. Those are the people that uh, are holy before the Lord. Holiness starts with God. We look in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, and we realize that holiness stands with God. If we could, please turn over to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and we'll cover verses 16 through 18. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, says the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So I think this gives us the true definition of the word holy. Really, the word holy means to be set apart, to be, to be away from. And, you know, growing up sometimes that's a tough thing, but it's sometimes a tough thing as an adult too. We just don't always want to have the battle. We don't always want to have the war. Sometimes we just want to go to this place or do that thing with friends, with coworkers, whatever that may be. Holiness is the part of our lives that is set apart unto the Lord. And as we are holy, we desire to please Him more. It is work to be holy. It's an effort to be holy. But we have the promise of God that if we desire to go ahead and be unto Him, be a vessel that's, that's for Him, that He will be our Father and we will be His sons and daughters. The concept of that is, in verse 18, is that we will have a relationship with him. We will be close to him. And then things start to fade away after a while. Life doesn't always get easy. Nothing will be perfectly easy until we're in heaven at home with the Lord. But as we have a relationship with him, things are not as difficult. It's a little bit easier to be set apart. It's a little bit easier to be closer to the Lord and distant from the world. God promises to dwell with us and in us and, uh, and for us to be his. Verse 16. Verse 17. Obey and we will be accepted. 
Verse 18, he will be our father. I kind of want to go ahead. I really wanted to open this up for a discussion because I, in my research, there's, there's a lot of different ideas of what holiness is. And not all of them line up with what the Bible says holiness is. There is uh, some confusion of how much are we allowed to do, how much should we engage with our society, and how much should we not. And so I do want to open this up for discussion and, and, um, and talk about holiness. I just wanted to take 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, and, uh, and read that, and then we'll, we'll talk about that, and then, and then uh, open it up for discussion, and then uh, take a moment to, uh, after that, and we'll close. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, Having therefore these promises, of course the promises we just talked about, that God will dwell us, be for us, and we will be his. If we obey, we'll be accepted, and he will be our father. Those are the promises Paul's talking about. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So, um, first of all, any comments on chapter 7 where it says flesh and spirit? I think, I think personally as I read that, I, I thought that the spirit are the things already unto the Lord, so maybe the flesh and soul would be a better would be a better wording as the, full, as the soul deals with those things of the mind and the heart. Any comments on chapter 7, verse 1? I just did notice that. I, I looked at it, and I, I had just been dealing with flesh, soul, and spirit. And those things of the spirit were specifically of the Lord. But it says, uh, cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. And I had just wrote that down personally as the flesh and soul. Mike. We are to our flesh, keep mortifying it, and we are to be renewing our mind. Right. And just and my, my thought was that the soul dealing with the mind and the heart, but but spirit and, and I think maybe in this passage you're using spirit and soul synonymously. So yeah, John. So the, the spirit that the, the spirit that man has is that's good insight too considering that God says I will not always strive with the spirit of man you know as, and, and you think about that and of course I, I think as you try to dissect that you know what's the difference between the soul and the spirit I, yeah it, you're right it could be um, it could be a little tough to do that but I get the I get the concept that you're saying and, and that verse that just reminded me of that verse when, when God was talking about that the promises we should receive are for immediate and continuing future action I look at that and it's you know Perfecting holiness, that process—it's almost. Anybody have any any ideas or any opinions on sanctification and holiness? Uh, I think they work together. Abe.
That's the concept of, of yeah, it's multifaceted, uh, holiness. You know, there's that, there's that daily dying to self. You know, and, and like I said, I always, I always think about what Chuck Swindoll said about that. Is he said, the Christian life taken yearly is not, not that tough. We, we, we can plan. We, we want to go to this event, this meeting. We want to support this uh, ministry. We want to do whatever it may be. He said, the Christian life, even monthly, isn't so bad. We... We have our immediate things that have to get done for the word to go out, for the building lights to stay on, for the people to be edified and lifted up. So the, the tough thing about the Christian life is that it's so daily. And every day I have to get up and I have to, I have to recognize my propensity to do what I want to do, my desire to do what I would choose to do. And I have to yield that before the Lord. And... That was one of the directions I really wanted to go was that, that concept of what is me and what is God. And the more I realized, you know, am I, am, I, am I autonomous or is God really moving in me? And the more I realized, the more it was of me, the more, the more it was of seeking my pride. And the happiest times in my life were those times when I was yielded to the Lord uh, it's been said, and may, many of us are probably familiar with it, there is a God-shaped void in all of our lives. Because he's the engineer, the designer, and the creator, life is best lived with Christ. Life is left, best lived with God. I am the most complete and the most satisfied when I am with my Savior or when I am with the Father. John, you got a comment? Uh, first comment on the, on the second thing you said there after the, the you're absolutely right, but uh, at this time of my life when I was fully, fully yielded to God, the most satisfied, the most peaceful, the most joyful, and uh, I think that's the essence of, of, of holiness is that when we yield fully to God, we find all those things that God promised that when we hold back and take for ourselves, we, we, we throw away the joy and the peace and the, the, the practical presence of God and the, and the light just to, to, to face anything, you know, we, we have when we're walking closely with Him. 
that, that's something to, to stay on for a little bit. Um, as I have, have list, you know, I've listed here, it really, you know, if we're doing a three-part, you know, if I, if I lay out the three parts that I put in, the holiness starts with God, holiness stands with God, and holiness stays with God. That's something that we can take, take with us. I just really wanted to focus on the despair in the life of the believer and also the unbeliever in not being with God. As a believer, first and foremost, I think many of us here represent, would, would represent that we are of Christ, that, we are, that, we, that we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We've, we've looked at his mercies. We looked at his gift of salvation. We've accepted it in our life. But to what, to what John said, it's, it's the times of the most peace, the times of the most joy in our life has been the times that we've been the most connected to the Lord, the times when I've been most in line with his agenda, with his word, as I've lined myself up with scriptures, I feel like I'm, my purpose is greater. I, I feel like I'm moving in a direction that's more right for my life. And that seems, uh, that, that seems like it would be at odds at what I want to do. But in actuality, those have been the best times in my life. Conversely, those times which I've really been trying to get my own and seek for myself, even if they haven't been things that have been wrong, I, I feel that that churning in my spirit that is this really the best thing? And so, and, and I'm sure many of you have experienced that, but holiness keeps us with God. As we seek to be holy, since it's a daily, it's a daily dying, it's a daily prospect of taking up our cross and walking, it's it's moving forward to be righteous and right with God. As we're more connected with the Lord, we're more at peace in our lives. Um, holiness stays with God. And I just thought that when we looked at 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, having therefore these promises, the promises of what? That God will dwell in us and he will be for us. If we obey, we will be accepted. He will be our Father. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And, and, and it's amazing. I really wanted to do what I had done last time with the fear of God. I thought I'd print up a list of verses that you could have, but uh, alas, I didn't get that done. Um, but if you have the chance, it's, and we live in a day and age where it is simpler than it used to be when Brother Phil was planning messages in Sunday schools where he actually had to dig in concordances and do hard research. We have Google where we can look in there sometimes. And, and you know, it's so easy at our fingertips. We can say verses that relate to holiness. And I tell you, as you go through those, those verses and you look for, for, the, for verses on holiness, it'll talk about the holiness of God, the holiness that we should have in our life, or the holiness, the personal holiness we can have. And just, and just read over those verses and go through Scripture. It's a, it's a really wonderful topic as we think about holiness, um, not only of God's holiness, but also our, His command for us to have per, personal holiness in our own life. Um, be encouraged by those brothers and sisters that we have around here that live a godly life before us. Thankful for you all as you've been an example to me. Amy. Uh, I, so, yeah, Romans says it, and then also 2 Corinthians says, uh, cleanse ourselves from all filthiness. And you know, you have, I mean, God is holy, so, yeah. so that's the only way we can be holy. You know, they were saying that we yield ourselves to God. So how we, how does that work together with us cleansing ourselves? 
Well, I, I know I know personally, you know, the cleansing ourselves, I think we know our own minds pretty well, and we know the directions in our bents. I know what sin is because I'm enticed by it and I'm pulled away from it. If you look down, if if you look down in these uh, in the selection that they've given, you know, it it talks about the things that we should put off, uh, and the sin that we should the, the sin that we should remove from our lives, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, those things that really would that really are not of God that would go ahead and, and hinder us from a holy life. For me personally, I know the sin that I struggle with in my life that that confronts and works against my personal holiness. So what does it look like? I know when I'm yielded to God, I don't even know how to quantify that specifically, but I know for myself that when I shun those things that I have a desire normally to do, when I'm in communion with the Lord and then when I do when I take his word seriously and I take that time with him on a daily basis. And I think it starts with a walk. To be holy we have to have a walk. Um, any thoughts what it looks like? And the question was, what, is, what does it look like to be holy? To cleanse ourselves. In First John it says, we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins. So we all know that. Maybe it should be a reminder to us that we are, we're on this road of sanctification. We're not perfect. We all know it. So there is going to be times where we slip up. So part of the cleansing is the washing and renewing. So I think... That confession of sin is part of that. Take it out. John, uh, Jack. Um, I think it's a matter of not just turning from sin, but turning to God. It's a pursuit of holiness. We know that. But I appreciate what Abe said. I think if I see myself in Christ as a son, then the cleansing happens as I see myself in him. It's that abiding, it's that knowing that I'm in him. All I'm focusing on is getting away from sin. It kind of leaves me empty. I have to turn to something. And I think that's God and seeing myself in sin, which keeps me clean in my thought life, which will keep me clean in my actions. Starting with, and again, it starts with God. Holiness starts with God. If you have, uh, you know, from what, what Jack just said, if it's just the, if it's just the daily grind of fighting against sin, that's a battle that's probably going to be lost because we're trying to do it in some human strength. I don't have the strength of God. I haven't, I haven't observed His holiness. I'm not living for that, but I'm not looking to Him. That's a good point, Jack, that it, it, it can't just be a simple war on sin. We have to have the desire for the relationship with Christ, the desire for His holiness in our life. Uh, yeah, Cliff. What works with me, kind of working, not necessarily specific on everything you just said here, but where it says there in Philippians, uh, therefore, my beloved, as you have always thus obeyed, not always in my presence, but also much more in my absence, work out your salvation and fear and trembling. For if God who works in you is to will and to do for his good pleasure. I'm thinking, you know, that's. Really, what we, you know, it is working out. Uh, it's not it's, you know, two or three things, you do this and everything's perfect. It, it is a daily and lifelong working it out to holiness and everything that comes. Daily and forever until Christ returns. It's a lot of 
seems like a lot of work on our end, but that's really a labor. I, I think as believers here, would you consider it a labor of love and a, and a, and a joyous thing that, that those moments that we get that right before the Lord, again, are our most happy. The moment when we, the moment when we have those little successes with the Lord in our Christian life, those are our most happy. For me, they are. Uh, the moment when I don't respond in anger, the moment when I teach my kids the right thing to do, the moment when I show the boys how to honor their mom, the moment when I know I'm trying to perfect holiness and I'm pleasing God, I wish those moments were more. I wish I could say, every day in my household, you know, the way I live is pure holiness, but I know I have failures and falls. I just want to bring this before us because as we live holy, we impact a world that doesn't respect it in the first place. However, they observe it and they know something's different. They know there's something that's not the same with you as there are with other people. And I will close with uh, just a, a quick story, a quick testimony of, of a friend I didn't think I had a huge example on. Uh, I had mentioned a little while ago I have, I have a friend. He's, he's one of those friends in the world that you have, that you're friendly, you get along in a lot of ways, you, you have some things in common, but ultimately they're a jerk. I think we've all had that kind of person that, you know, you can get along with them. Really, they're, they do good things to help you, but a lot of times they just like to be, they like to stir the part. They like to be divisive. This was, this was my friend that I worked with at, at Infinity of Cincinnati, and he was my, my rack mate next to me. And we had two racks. We worked on cars. He was a really good technician, good mechanic. But Chris hated God with a passion. And uh, he would always say things to get under my skin intentionally. And I was always reminded not to go off the deep end, not to try to respond. I wanted to so many times. I wanted to respond in kind. I wanted to, I wanted to have a problem with this guy. But I knew this isn't just a guy who is an unbeliever. This is a guy who's an unbeliever and hates God. And he's vocal about it. And so the long short of it, there's been... Uh, you know, six or seven years in which I've really thought about Chris and I've tried to pray for him. And in the last four or five months, I've been just so convicted. Look, you know, I kept feeling like, you know, you're, if you don't go talk to these guys, if you really care about them as friends, then you're going to then you're going to offer the good news to him. You're going to be bold about it. And and I'd find something life would come up and I would I started getting on myself and saying, you're such a coward. Why, why don't you just go up and you can call these guys anytime. You talk anytime you want to about anything else. Why don't you just call and say, I want to meet with you. I want to talk, about, talk to you about Jesus Christ, and you're going to deal with it. That's how I felt. So the last time I got to see him, I had brought something up. He'd had a tumor on his carotid artery. He was benign, and I would said, hey, Chris, how's the tumor? How's things going? He goes, well, they got it under control, but it is what it is. And I just felt led. I said, hey, I, our family's going to pray for you because it's serious. You know, it's right on your carotid artery. And he turned to me and he said, thanks, man. I really appreciate that. I would in, in the old days, I would have been blasted by him. I would have been, I don't want your God. I don't want anything to do with your God. Don't pray for me. No, don't waste your time. It's all fake fairy tales. But he said that, and I asked him what changed. I asked him what the difference was. And for him, he said, I saw 
that my wife was over our son and I was over my wife, but who was over me? That doesn't come from the natural man. And I bring that up not to say I did everything right around him, but my desire was to not embarrass Christ in front of him. So with that being said, I don't always have the perfect example. I don't always live the holiest life. But my desire around the unbelieving is to be more Christ-like and more holy so that they can see him. Brother, would you pray? Father, we thank you for this lesson that is going to be to us like that. We thank you for the loving relationship that we have with you, God, as our Father. We thank you for 